Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, it's Erin from the Red Rum Blonde podcast. As a true crime podcaster, I'm usually doing a ton of research or editing, so I need to take some breaks throughout my day. My go-to favorite is a game called Best Fiends. If you've never played it, let me give you a rundown. It's a puzzle game where you use different characters, which are really cute bugs. My favorite is Freddy. They fight the evil slugs to get you to the next level. It's very cool because each character has different powers, so it's fun to decide which one to choose for each level. You don't have to be a gamer to play. I'm not by any means. Anybody can play, but it's made for adults. It can be played anywhere. You just download it and go. No need to worry about Wi-Fi or an internet connection. I play it on my phone on breaks at my regular job and when I need a break from working on the podcast. I seriously love this game and cannot stop playing. Right now, I'm on level 573. No joke, I told you I love playing this game. And it's updated on a regular basis with very fun themes. Best Fiends is fun and challenging with the most amazing graphics. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. 
Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Welcome to Red Round Blonde. It's the holiday season, and whatever your beliefs, it's usually a time for family get-togethers, food, presents, and celebration. Everywhere you go, there's evidence of the season from holiday lights to Christmas songs playing in every store. It's a joyous time that most people look forward to all year. But that's not the case for everyone. For some, it's a time of sadness and depression. And there's a variety of reasons. Some have lost family, or some simply don't have any. For others, money's tight or non-existent, making gift-giving impossible. Whatever the reason, a time that should be filled with happiness is one of dread. My friend Grace is always sending me really great podcast ideas and stories, and recently she sent me this article from anetv.com by Sonia Vatomsky titled, Three Gruesome Christmas Family Murders You Probably Haven't Heard About. And I admit, I hadn't heard of any of them. And all three have one common thread. Family annihilators, specifically the father. So sit back, grab a glass of wine like I'm going to do. This week, I'll discuss Christmas family massacres. For the first one, we're going to go to the year 2011 in Dallas, Texas. I found more research for this one in several articles, including the Dallas Morning News, the Iran Times, and CBS News. 56-year-old Iranian-born Azizola Yazdan Pana, or Aziz as he was known, is documented as being the perpetrator of the deadliest crime in Dallas, Texas history, and this occurred on December 25, 2011. A chilling call was made to a 911 dispatcher by Aziz himself. The audio of the call was released. First is heard someone yelling for help. And when the dispatcher asks if someone's hurt or needs help, the reply is chilling. It's simply, I'm shooting people. Police responded to the Grapevine apartment complex quickly. And what they found was an awful sight. There were seven dead family members. Police believe that Aziz, or Bob as he was known, came to his estranged wife's apartment dressed as Santa and armed with a 9mm pistol and a 40 caliber pistol to kill. Aziz was a real estate agent and a volunteer high school debate coach. The recent years had been pretty hard on him, bringing both unemployment and a separation from his wife, 55-year-old Fatma Rahmadi. He had sent a friend an odd text earlier in the year that read, What do you call a guy who's born in Austin, grows up in Dallas, and then dies in Grapevine? Dead. This may be a foreshadowing to his plans for his son, 14-year-old Ollie. In addition, the couple had a 19-year-old daughter named Nana. Both were born and raised in America by the Iranian immigrants who'd come here decades previously. Fatma, who had recently filed for bankruptcy, invited family over for the Christmas celebration. This included Fatma's 58-year-old sister, Zohre Ramadi, her 59-year-old husband, Mohammed Hossein Zareh, and their 22-year-old daughter, Sarah. 
Now, Aziz and Fatma had recently been separated due to financial and infidelity issues. Apparently, Aziz told a family friend that he and his brother-in-law, Mohammed Hossein Zaray, took trips to hotels and got rooms with sex workers. And they then lied to their wives about the trips. The brother-in-law reportedly confessed all this to his wife, who most likely told her sister. And Aziz had been out of work for quite some time, making his wife become the financially responsible one. So something that was surely a point of contention in Aziz's pride. Another shot at his pride was not being invited to this Christmas celebration. And in addition, he was very resentful of his wife's sister, Zoe. Not only did she tell about his infidelities with sex workers, but he felt that she had control over his wife and was interfering with the troubled marriage. Also not a fan of Aziz's was his niece. She sent some texts on that fateful day. They read, So we're here. We just got here, and my uncle is here too, dressed as Santa. Awesome. Around 11.15 a.m., she sent another one that said, Now he wants to be all fatherly and win Father of the Year. And even though it only took police three minutes to arrive, by the time they got there, they found everyone dead. By the open presence, it appeared that they had just done that before Aziz arrived. The medical examiner said Aziz shot his daughter, son, niece, and sister-in-law multiple times in the head. He shot his wife once in the head and his brother-in-law in the head, stomach, and chest multiple times. Before turning the gun on himself, he placed the 40 caliber pistol in Muhammad's hand to try to stage the scene as if he had killed the family. Aziz had been placed on three years probation back in 1996 due to one count of subscribing to a false income tax return. He also had to pay around $30,000 in restitution and a $1,000 fine. It was three years later that the couple filed for bankruptcy. Then he stopped working, which made Fatma, who owned a beauty salon, the breadwinner. And she supported the family by working at two salons. Aziz had originally forbidden his wife to work, and now she was supporting the whole family. She took the children and moved out of their home the previous April. They end up moving into an apartment complex that was about two miles from the home that Aziz still lived in, which was valued at around $300,000. Their daughter, Nana, told a friend in August that things were very hard in life, but she didn't go into more detail. Police believe that Aziz shot himself shortly after he made the 911 call. The next case takes place in Corvino, a Los Angeles suburb on Christmas Eve in 2008. Another father shows up to a family gathering in a Santa Claus outfit, uninvited. That someone was Bruce Jeffrey Pardo. And for this one, I got some great information from a Los Angeles Time article by Tammy Abdullah, as well as Wikipedia. Around 11.30 p.m. on December 24, 2008, 45-year-old Bruce Jeffrey Pardo pulled up in a blue Dodge to the home of his former in-laws. And inside were around 25 people gathered for a Christmas Eve celebration. Pardo, dressed in a Santa Claus suit, knocked on the door. It was answered by his 8-year-old niece, Katrina. 
he shot her directly in the face. In all, he had five 9mm semi-automatic handguns. Also in his possession was a gift wrap package containing a homemade flamethrower. When the first shots rang out, everyone at the party just darted and started to run. Pardo was firing in all directions. People hid under furniture or fled out whatever exit they could find, which included one woman jumping out a window. It was absolute chaos. Some survivors of the massacre say that he stood over relatives and shot them execution style. The shooting stopped, but then more horror began. Pardo unleashed the flamethrower. In all, three people were seriously wounded, which was a 16-year-old girl who was shot in the back, a 20-year-old woman who jumped from a window, and thankfully, the little girl who was shot in the face survived. Unfortunately, nine people died in the attack. They were Bruce's ex-wife, 43-year-old Sylvia Ortego Pardo, her parents, 80-year-old Joseph, and 70-year-old Alice Ortega, his brother and sister-in-laws, which were 49-year-old Charles, 45-year-old Sherry Lynn, 51-year-old James, 52-year-old Teresa Ortega, and 46-year-old Alice Ortega Ortiz. And he also shot his 17-year-old nephew, Michael Andre Ortiz. And this fire was so intense that it soared 40 to 50 feet in the air and took over 80 firefighters to extinguish it. The victims were so burned, they had to be identified through dental records. Once Pardo had set the home on fire, he changed his clothes and drove 30 miles away to his brother's home. His brother wasn't there at the time. Pardo was later found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. In his shoe was found an airline ticket for Northwest Airlines to Moline, Illinois, a place I've never heard of. He also had $17,000 in cash strapped to his body. So how and why did this man massacre his entire former family? Pardo grew up in the San Fernando Valley. He was the son of an engineer. After graduating from high school, he studied computer science at Cal State Northridge. And he apparently loved attention while he was there. Apparently, he was once seen carrying around a life-size inflatable doll. But he was incredibly bright, which got him a job at the famed Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And even though he was very smart, that didn't excuse some of his behavior. Coworkers said that he once hacked into the computer system to find out everyone's salaries and would often ditch work just to go skiing. It was at JPL that he met his fiancée, a woman only identified in the article as Delia. Now, at the time, he was living with his mother, Nancy, so Delia used all of her savings to pay for a wedding reception and a honeymoon in Tahiti. The day of the wedding came, which was June 17, 1989, his mother, brother, and fiancé waited over an hour, but Bruce never showed. A few weeks later, Delia saw Bruce. She said he looked tan and happy. He had taken $3,000 from their credit union account and took a trip to Palm Springs. Nothing was left of the savings. Delia later married another man despite this heartache that she had suffered. But this was how Bruce Pardo was. He was described as a guy that liked to have fun, but he didn't really seem to care too much about other people's feelings. In 2001, he married a woman named Elena Luciano, 
and together they had a child named Bruce Matthew. When he was just over a year old, the baby fell into the backyard swimming pool when his father was home alone watching him. The baby was in the hospital for over a week when the parents were told that he would not recover. The stress caused the couple to split, and Matthew was left severely brain damaged. After the split, he never saw his father ever again. Bruce completely does. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Birded his son. In 2004, Bruce met 40-year-old Sylvia Ortego through her brother-in-law who worked at JPL with Bruce. And she had three kids from previous relationships. Bruce and Sylvia married two years later and they purchased this big $500,000 house. And the first year of marriage was great. Bruce got really close to Sylvia's big family and they even bought an Akita puppy that they named Saki. But about a year later things began to change. Sylvia told friends that they argued a lot about money and that he just seemed very cold and distant. In 2007, Bruce's mother, who was very close to Sylvia, told her about Bruce's disabled son that he deserted. Not only that, but Bruce still claimed this child as a tax deduction. And it wasn't long after that that the couple separated in 2008. Sylvia's daughter still had some months until she finished kindergarten, so she asked Bruce if they could stay in the house until school was finished. He responded by leaving their belongings in the driveway while Sylvia was at a birthday party. Around this time, Bruce worked as an engineer at ITT Radar Systems and was making over $100,000 a year, while Sylvia was making only $30,000 a year working as an administrative assistant. So a judge had ordered spousal support in the amount of $1,700 a month to Sylvia, but Bruce stopped payment. After trying to reconcile with his wife with no luck, Pardo then came up with his revenge plan. In June, he purchased his first 9mm handgun in Burbank. And shortly after that, he was fired from his job for billing fraudulent hours, and he was denied unemployment. He then returned a few more times to the gun world where he purchased that first gun. He was building an arsenal. In September, he went and ordered this specially made Santa costume from a place called Jerry's Costumes, telling the owner that it was for a Christmas party in the future. So to get an idea of his mindset, 
he had visited a friend in Iowa around this time, and he was telling him about the impending divorce, saying that he had, quote, been sitting at home and thinking about everything. Things were not going well for Pardo. He was still out of work. He was going through divorce hearings, and he was not on speaking terms with his mother because she had sided with Sylvia in the breakup. As he left the state of Iowa, he purchased more guns and bullets since Iowa's gun laws weren't as strict as California's. When he went and picked up this Santa outfit, the owner thought it was really odd because he had one made rather than rent one. He was a really tall guy, so this was a tall order. Plus, he had requested extra room in the outfit. The divorce became final about a week before Christmas. Sylvia was awarded her diamond engagement ring, the dog Saki, and $10,000. Many people think that Pardo was planning a getaway after this massacre. He'd purchased another ticket to Malloyne, Illinois. And the airport was closest to where his friend lived in Iowa. He also rented that blue Dodge, leaving his car at the home of his ex-wife's attorney. So the theory is that he also planned to kill the attorney after killing Sylvia and her family. It's really fortunate for this man that Bruce changed his plans that day for whatever reason. People aren't even sure that he even planned to make the trip to Iowa after the killings. It's impossible to know what was in his head. When he left to make good on his plan, his neighbor said that he just seemed completely normal. Maybe even more insight into what type of person he was, just cold, uncaring, and just bent on getting his revenge. The neighbor did think that it was odd that he got into a Dodge when the man owned another car and a Hummer. After Pardo set fire to the house, a neighbor saw a Dodge drive off with its lights off. But Pardo did not come away unscathed. He had really severe burns on his arms, legs, and hands. These burns were so bad that they had melted part of the Santa suit onto his body. But he was possibly not feeling the pain due to the cocaine that he had taken earlier. Pardo drove straight to his brother's home. Maybe it was his injuries which made him divert from the original plan. Brad Pardo came home around 3.10 a.m., and he saw his brother's body dead on the couch. Bruce had shot himself in the mouth. Police found the $17,000 he had plastic-wrapped to his legs with a girdle. His rental car had been rigged with part of the Santa suit so that it would detonate the car with this black powder if taken out. The bomb squad had to fire an incendiary device into the car to destroy it for safety. And at his home was found more ammunition, a high-octane fuel tank, and a, quote, virtual bomb factory. Apparently, divorce was not an option for Bruce Pardo. Our final story was the one that kind of creeped me out the most, maybe because it's from a different era. It takes place in 1929 in Germantown, North Carolina. And if you want to hear a really good podcast episode on this, just this one case, check out Phoebe Judge's Criminal. I think it was episode 25. I found some really good info on the case on criminalminds.fandom.com. Charles Davis Lawson, or Charlie as he was known, was born on May 10, 1886, in North Carolina. He married Fanny Manring, and together they had eight children. Marie, Arthur, William, Carrie, 
Maybell, James, Raymond, and Mary Lou. The family moved to Germantown area in 1918 with Charlie's two brothers. The Lawsons worked as tobacco farmers, and it seemed profitable enough for them to buy a farm. Unfortunately, they would be there with one less child due to losing a son, William, to illness in 1920. Right before Christmas, Charlie took the family into town, and he purchased them all new clothes and had a family portrait taken. Now, pretty much every source I read said that this was highly unusual for a family of their means to do. Family portraits were usually only done by the wealthy. So just like Bruce Pardo buying the Santa suit and the guns, this shows premeditation by Charles Lawson. In the morning on Christmas Day, Charlie and his oldest son, 12-year-old Arthur, went out hunting. And supposedly they ran out of bullets, and Charlie had Arthur go into town to buy more. Why he spared Arthur from what was to come is still a mystery. When Charlie returned home, he began his attack. His first victims were 12-year-old Carrie and 7-year-old Maybelle. As the two girls walked by the barn on the way to their aunt's house, Charlie shot them both with a 12-gauge shotgun. And to make sure that they were dead, he also bludgeoned them. Perhaps to hide the bodies, he placed them in the barn and he headed to the house. His next victim was his wife, Fanny, who he shot dead on the porch. 17-year-old Marie saw her father kill her mother and she screamed. But it didn't stop Charlie. He shot Marie, and then he chased after 4-year-old James and 2-year-old Raymond, who tried to hide. After shooting them, he then beat baby Mary Lou to death. He crossed the arms of each victim, and he placed rocks under their heads as some kind of macabre pillow. The bodies were found by one of Charlie's brothers and his wife. Hours after this horrendous discovery, Arthur heard a gunshot come from the woods. Charlie Lawson was found dead under a tree from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Footprints were found surrounding the tree as if Charlie had paced around it for hours. Now, many theories arose about why Charlie would have killed his whole family. Apparently, not long before the murders, Charlie sustained a head injury. But his brain was examined at John Hopkins Hospital, and they couldn't find any damage, which would cause him to become so violent. The most prevalent theory is a creepy one. In 1990, a book was published called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, and it claimed that Charlie had been sexually abusing Marie. This rumor was backed by Stella Lawson, a relative of the family. She said she overheard family talking one time, including her aunts and Fanny's own mother, saying that there was a, quote, incestuous relationship between Charlie and Marie. Another book published in 2006 by that same author had even more testimony backing this claim. One of Marie's close friends, a girl named Ella May, said right before Christmas, Marie had told her that she was pregnant and the father of the baby was, you guessed it, Charlie. She said that Fanny knew what was going on, too, and this would certainly provide a motive for murder. After the murders, the house became somewhat of a tourist attraction. But think about it, and it makes sense. When a murder happens today, we're glued to our televisions, eating up the coverage. News crews camp outside murder homes. And this was well before any kind of media coverage, so people just went to see things for themselves. 
You hear of this a lot in older murder cases. In the Lawson home, there was a cake baked by Marie that was still there, which became so popular that visitors began to pick raisins off as souvenirs. So to protect it, it had to be placed under glass. And of course, there were a few songs written in the day about the tragedy. Arthur Lawson lived to the age of 32 when he was tragically killed in a car accident. So that was the Christmas Massacres. I find Family Annihilators really interesting. It's really unthinkable to think of killing your whole family. When I was pregnant, I was really made aware of how differently men and women can sometimes view having a family. As a woman, I was very excited, very nesty, and I dreamed of what the baby would look like and sound like, things like that. And that's not to say that my husband didn't do those things. He did, but... He was very worried about the financial aspect of having a kid. I realized that he seemed under tremendous pressure. And honestly, this may be why a lot of men snap. Men are traditionally the breadwinners of the family. In Bruce and Aziz's cases, those men were not financially able to support their families anymore. And then they lost their families to separation. What's interesting about family annihilators is that they aren't your typical killer. There's usually no criminal record or even pre-existing mental health issues. And there are apparently four types of family annihilators. I found this courtesy of an article by Kate Collins on Wired UK. So the first are self-righteous killers who blame the mother for the family breakdown. Then there's disappointed killers who blame the entire family for any problems. And they say a lot of times that's attributed to the rest of the family not following a certain religion. Anomic killers view the family as a symbol of their success. And if something goes wrong there, then that all goes to hell. And finally, paranoid killers kill to protect their families from a perceived threat. And most family annihilators fell into the self-righteous and anomic categories. So I guess everyone will be looking at their dads and uncles a little differently this Christmas. But let me make this clear. I'm not saying this is the case with all men. The majority of men are great with their families. Even as stressed as my husband was when we had our son, he was the best damn dad ever. So there's just no denying that men do seem to view things very differently from women. So before I go, I want to welcome some new members to the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. I want to welcome Kimmy, Julie, and Chantel. Really happy to have you guys. And if you're listening and you haven't joined, we'd be happy to have you too. You can also look for the podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And remember, you can listen to the podcast on iHeartRadio and Spotify too. I want to wish everyone a very happy holiday season. Whether you celebrate Christmas, the solstice, Hanukkah, or whatever, I hope you and your family have a very happy holiday. I'm blessed to be in your ears and look forward to another year telling you these morbid, depressing tales. I love doing the podcast, and I'm blessed to have you guys as listeners. So thank you so much for listening, and catch you next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.